Thank you so much for tuning in and welcome everyone. I hope you're well. I'm your host, Ben Lively, and you are listening to Shaken Awake episode number 50. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in with us today, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing right this very moment. It means everything to me to share the messages that God has laid on my heart to share. And as always, I promise you another great show, but more than anything, my hope for you today and always is that you have an actual encounter with the Lord, not just listening to another podcast episode. And a quick ask, if I can, if you found or find value uh, in this episode or any of these episodes, would you take 30 seconds after the show to submit a, a quick review and a star rating in whatever app or device you're listening to? That's what potential listeners look for uh, when deciding when to give the show a listen. And it's just confirmation from other listeners like you. We all love word of mouth. Uh, that it'll, it can bring value to them. Would you do that for me if and only if you find value in these episodes? I cannot thank you enough and thank you for those that have done so. So without further delay, uh, let's get ready to invite God in with us right here, right now, and allow him to speak directly to your heart and mind. Today's topic is on will you join in, flee, or look back to America, today's Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it's no surprise to hear what we've, what's been happening all around us for many, many years, as as we've slid on the slippery slope called the world for many years, many decades. And what do I mean by that? If I asked you if America has gotten better or worse in the past five years, what would be your answer? You know, but let's not stop there, okay? If I asked you if America has gotten better or worse than in the five years before the five-year period before today, what would be your answer? How about five years prior to that? How about five years prior to that? I'm not going to keep going, but I want you to. You see, what you realize if you're looking at it from certainly a biblical standpoint is that we are sliding so far and so fast. Every five years, there's no wonder why we're in the state we're in this very day and why we can expect it to continue. You see, every generation that follows is worse than the generation before. And here's the kicker, but not in the things of this world. And that is where the God of this uh, this world, uh, Satan, little, little Lucy is, is what I've got fun of calling her uh, because uh, they're not even worth me calling them by name anymore where our morals have declined and Christian values have declined and our dependence on God has declined from a societal standpoint, the opposite has held true. So if we look at the same five-year period exercise, but we replace morals and conduct and, and crime and God, et cetera, with technology, with money, with sinful pleasures, lust, greed, false doctrine, false religion, self-love, pornography, what's acceptable that is against God, they're all accelerating at the same speed in which our Christian morals and placing God first in our country has been declining. And you think that's a coincidence? No, for one, uh, this was all prophesied in the Bible. It's not a surprise to God. He already warned us over 2,000 years ago about the times and signs of the end. This is exactly to the plan that little Lucy has divided to bring total corruption and sin in a godless country and world uh, into existence to populate hell as quickly 
and efficiently as possible, and he is. He is succeeding. The statistics around us and and the, the society we live in are living proof. So to know where we are and, and kind of where we're headed, let's take a quick look at the true story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't have to look at the flood uh, with Noah because the next event that mimics that one will be the second coming of Jesus and then the, the great white throne judgment. No, we are. America is today's Sodom and Gomorrah and even worse. So why exactly did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? So God has a reason for everything that he does, right? His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Each and every action he takes has purpose. It's right and 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 perfect and good. So through a limited worldly human perspective, that can kind of seem difficult to accept. You know, certain incidences in the Bible seem to challenge this truth, though that's usually because they're taken out of context. And so a little prayer and study often clarifies the, uh, the, the Lord's purposes. So in Genesis, during the days of Abraham, uh, the cities of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were powerful uh, cities that God just wiped off the earth in a sing single evening. Uh, the Bible reveals to us that these two cities devolved into debauchery. So it's immorality, homosexuality, total utter wick wickedness, idolatry, and violence. There was nothing they would not do no person they were not willing to violate and no chance from God to repent. They wanted to take. So God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah as punishment for their wickedness and their lack of repentance and to stop their evil from spreading. So the full account of what happened to the two cities in Sodom and Gomorrah is in Genesis chapter 18 and 19 with a, with a kind of a brief mention earlier in, in chapter 13. So Abraham travels many miles in the company of his nephew Lot. So Beth, uh, both men uh, prospered, which led to some conflict between their shepherds. Um, they just got too big, right? They outgrew each other in the land. So they needed to cease their journey together and go their separate ways. And so Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. That's Genesis 13, 10. So this land was around the city of Sodom. While Lot started out just wanting to live around the city, he eventually moved in and he raised his family there. So after a, a period of time, God determined to pour out his judgment on these cities due to their wickedness. And Abraham negotiated with God. It's a great story. And he finally gets down to 10. He's a 10 righteous people in the two cities. If he could find just 10 people, God said he wouldn't destroy the cities. However, Abraham couldn't even find that many. And so the only ones that would be spared were Lot and his family. So when the time came, right, this, the sun rose up, then the Lord just rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities those cities and, and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Behold, the smoke of the land land went up like a smoke of a furnace. That's Genesis 19, 24 to 25 and 28. God made that valley uninhabitable and, and the area that Christian archaeologists, and you should see it, it it's, it's wild. Look it up. And, and theologians, they believe is the location of the cities, 
still has no wildlife and no vegetation growing there. You can still see charred remains. It's it's um it's a sight to be seen. So there are hints that are in chapter 13 about the nature of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. So when the Lord spoke his decision initially, he said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that's come to me. And if not, I'll know. That's Genesis 18, 20 to 21. So not only were they committing offenses against God, but they were hurting the cities and the people around them. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? The Bible often refers to the sensuality of Sodom and Gomorrah, meaning its citizens were obsessed with indulging in sins of the flesh. Gee, that sounds familiar as well. Their sexual sins are what most people know about. But it can also be concluded that they indulge in many, many other carnal sins. You know, the citizens of Sodom wanted to assault, which blows my mind. I mean, they wanted to assault the two angels who came to Sodom. In fact, they were so determined to commit violent sexual assault against the angels. It was so great that the Bible records, quote unquote, then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. That's Genesis 19.9. They wanted to beat Lot and break down his door to assault his male guests. You know, many People point to several passages in Genesis to try and uh, and pinpoint which specific sins push the cities uh, the cities over the edge. How are they different from every other nation to exist that's full of sinners? And what led them to being wiped off the map? An interesting uh, a passage in the Book of Isaiah gets to the root of Sodom and Gomorrah's evil. While they indulged in every vice that was possible, the state of their hearts were permanently set against against God, against the Lord. Isaiah gave a prophecy against Judah and Jerusalem, quote unquote, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. That's Isaiah 3, 8 to 9. So during the time of Isaiah, Israel openly, proudly, and and knowingly defied God. And the prophet specified this behavior. It was that it was identical to the actions that ultimately condemned Sodom and Gomorrah. And while their willingness to assault strangers was very and deeply evil, the hardened hearts of the people of those cities blinded them to the opportunity to repent and change. Their pride set them forever against God. So moving forward after Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned as a point of reference uh, for wickedness. So I, I, uh, Israel, right? The prophets comparing them to these two cities. Jeremiah did it several times uh, in his writing during a particular uh, low point in Israel's history uh, by saying, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from this evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. That's Jeremiah 23, 14. So Isaiah predicted the downfall of Babylon to be like the downfall of Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's it's equally as important to know why God saved Lot's family, right? Abraham loved his nephew Lot and 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 didn't didn't want to see his nephew destroyed. You know, many um, 
many people assume that Lot was only rescued because of the the uh, intervention of his uncle. However, there's, there's evidence God rescued a lot for other reasons. In the New Testament, the apostle Peter uh, expounds on why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah but spared Lot by saying, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extin extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That's you and I, guys, right now. Second Peter 2, 6-9. Lot saw all the evil around him and it bothered him. He lived among the wicked, disturbed by their behavior, and he tried to spare God's messengers from assault. For his faith... God rescued Lot through his wife. His wife didn't make it out. You know, the angels warned Lot's family, do not look back for two reasons. First, right, the magnitude of um, God's destruction was so was so great, they had to flee to a smaller city uh, quite some distance away not to get swept away, right? And second, looking back meant regretting the loss of the cities, so the, the the righteous Lot understood that this, you know despite the difficulties facing him without a home, getting to keep his life and his standing with God was worth much more than anything the cities of vices offered America, right? Unfortunately, Lot's wife had moments of regret, and it says, "quote unquote," but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she then became a pillar of Saul. That's Genesis 19, uh, 26. So the, the story of Lot's wife's an important lesson. She was warned of the consequences of looking back, of desiring the comforts of a sinful place over the mercy of God. Does that strike a nerve? And, and, and she suffered the consequences. The angels told her would come. Many, many ignore the warnings of the Bible preferring sin and worldly convenience over righteousness and God's will. Some say, isn't it cruel for God to destroy a whole city? God, God did not just turn his eye to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and decide they were not good enough for him to love them. They indulged in every wickedness and refused to turn their heart to the Lord and repent. So when Lot tried to convince them to do the right thing just once, they called him judgmental and they tried to assault him too. You know, this situation is very similar to when God sent the flood sparing Noah. The people were obsessed with evil. They were meditating only on sin and refused to turn to God for forgiveness despite all the warnings. Again, sounds just like America is today. So what, what happened at, at Sodom and Gomorrah serves as both a warning for all people and a prophetic image of what will happen one day when Jesus returns in his full glory. As the Bible says, quote unquote, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's Luke 17 28 to 30. So here, Jesus warned his followers that all nations will face the judgment of God just poured out. And as the righteous king, he can. 
And he has given humanity thousands of years to turn to him in repentance. In repentance. Just as he was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah, if he could find just 10 righteous men between the two cities, he still invites everyone into a relationship with him, sparing them from his judgment. God's not willing that anyone should perish and has his hands stretched out, asking everyone to choose to have a relationship with him forever. So how do we, the United States, compare to Saddam, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? So I could only um, I could only retrieve FBI statistics going back to 2017, and man, has have uh, have things got much much worse since then? You know, coincidence that it's five years ago? Nope. So here's what what's called on the FBI website the um, 2017 FBI crime clock statistics. Uh, this representation of crime data shows the relative frequency. This is coming right off their website. This representation of crime data shows the relative frequency of how often violent and property crime offenses occurred in 2017. Note that the crime clock should not be taken to imply regularity in the commission of the crime. The crime clock represents the annual ratio of crime to fixed time intervals. So here we go. A violent crime was committed every 24.6 seconds. A murder occurred every 30.5 minutes. A rape every 3.9 minutes. A robbery every 1.7 minutes. And an aggravated assault every 39 seconds. A property crime offense was committed every 4.1 seconds. A burglary offense occurred every 22.6 seconds. A larceny theft every 5.7 seconds. And a motor vehicle theft every 40.9 seconds. I don't know what today's stats are, but I guarantee they're a lot worse. And I'm not being pessimistic. I'm being real. Uh, you know, those are just some disgusting statistics. I can't prove this, but I'm fairly certain that we are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah was. We have more ways to sin and we sure use them to the world and sin's advantage, don't we? So how can we, the believers, be in the world but not of the world? When we read of the world, the word world in the New Testament, we're reading the Greek word cosmos. So cosmos often refers to the inhabited earth and the people who live on the earth, which functions apart from God. So little, little Lucy is the ruler of this cosmos and explains a little bit more in John 12, 31, John 16, 11, and 1 John 5, 19. So by the simple definition that the word world refers to a world system ruled by Satan, we can more readily appreciate Christ's claim that believers are no longer of the world. We're no longer ruled by sin, nor are we bound by the doctrines of the world. In addition, we're being changed into the image of Christ, causing our interest in the things of the world to become less and less as we mature in Christ, if we're maturing. Believers in Jesus Christ are simply in the world, right? Physically present, but not of it, not part of its values. Speaks to this in John 17, verses 14 to 15. So as believers, we should be set apart from the world. This is the meaning of being holy, and living a holy, righteous life, to be set apart. We're not to engage in the sinful activities the world promotes, nor are we to retain the uh, the characterless and corrupt mind that the world creates. Instead, we're to conform ourselves and our minds to that of Jesus Christ. 
as it states in Romans 12, 1 to 2. This is a daily activity and a daily commitment. This isn't a once and done thing. And we, we must also understand that being in the world but not of it is necessary if we're going to be a light to those who are in spiritual darkness. We're to live in such a way that those outside the faith see our good deeds and our manner and know that there's something different about us. So Christians who make every effort to live, to think, to act like those who do not know Christ do him a great disservice. Even the heathen knows, but by their fruits you shall know them. And as Christians, we should exhibit the fruit of the Spirit within us. You know, being in the world also means we can enjoy the things of the world, such as the beautiful, beautiful creation God's given us. But we're not to immerse ourselves in what the world values, nor are we to chase after worldly pleasures. Pleasure is no longer calling, it's not our calling in life as it once was before we were saved, but rather the worship of God. Do you ever wonder if the dark world around you will snuff out your little light? Be honest. All of us will face seasons, right, where the, the darkness will try to overtake us. And, and it feels like we're it's, it's trying to extinguish our fire. It might be due to our own decisions, our circumstances beyond our choices of those we love or events beyond our control. However, we're not helpless. We can still shine in this dark world. We must learn how to be a light in this dark world. So here's a few steps to uh, to being the light in this dark world. One is start with God. Remember where the true light began? You know, first of all, remember God brought visible light to our world at the awesome creation of the world. However, wouldn't you agree the best light God ever gave us was his son? Jesus brought spiritual light to our souls and gave us excellent light excellent examples to uh, to strive for and to accomplish. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Jesus was terrific at shining his light on everyone. It never mattered who you were or your status. He loved unconditionally. Jesus is the light of the world. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. Jesus is our light. He brought light to those around him with his love. The next would be recognize that it only takes a little bit of light to make a big difference. So do you, do you struggle with wanting to be a light in this dark world, but feel as though maybe your, your little flame or flicker won't be enough? So why bother, right? Stop yourself right there. Do not underestimate how your light can change the darkness. Each of us makes a difference. Have, have you ever sat in a room so dark you, you couldn't even see your hands in front of you? And if not, would you, would you try it today? You'll need a little lighter and a candle to, to try this exercise. Just find a room where you can have complete darkness. You might choose a uh, you know an interior bathroom or even a closet but but do be careful <laughs> don't light your clothes or your hair on fire it's too easy to do just just go inside that space and turn off all the lights sit there for a moment in the darkness be aware of the darkness how does it feel what can you see do you like it is it uncomfortable 
know, honestly, I despise the darkness unless I'm I'm trying to get a great night's sleep. But but now now light a candle and notice the changes. One little speck of light can change the entire room. Notice how you begin to see the darkness withdrawal as the candles uh, flicker and the light starts to reveal the items in the room. It's as if the darkness is backing up and the light is moving forward. And, and notice it didn't take too much effort to make a difference. That is proof of who you are or could and should be in this dark and tasteless world. The next is just be willing. Be bold enough to shine your light no matter how small or insignificant you may feel. Remember, it only takes a flicker to change the room. Also, you may brighten the life of someone else just by your smile. Yes, something seemingly that small and insignificant can. You know, then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. That's John 12, 35. So ask yourself, am I willing to be a light in this world? The next is choose to turn on the light. Here's the catch. Willingness won't light up the room. We must choose to light the candle as we did in the dark. You're going to have to make a choice and turn on the light. The light's not going to turn on for you. And lastly... You know, go and be a light to those around you. Don't wait. Don't delay. You know, maybe you're not in the dark right now, but there are people all around us who are hurting and can use a little light just to shine into their world. Will you be that person? Shine yourself up and reflect God's light by loving others. Look for those who uh, who need a little light in their life. It doesn't take that much. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. That's not me. That's Isaiah 58.10. Be the light. We can shine in this dark world. However, we must remember where the light originated and then step out with a willing heart. Don't for a moment think a small little flicker won't make a difference. It will. I hope that each of us, each of you, will let Jesus shine in our world during the season that we're in and beyond. You know, we're, we're gonna, we will reflect God's love for others through our light, and we will be a light in this dark world. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah never had a beacon of light like you, like you that America does have right now. Don't ever forget or neglect that. You're a huge factor in how God uses people to lead them to him and be saved from eternal destruction. So in closing, my final statement is this. No matter how insignificant you may feel, living in a, a country of darkness and sin, you are still a perfect match that's in God's perfect matchbook to be used as a flicker of light to take the Take away the darkness in others' lives. So my final question to you is this. When will you actually believe that and take God's hand and strike your match that he's given you? So before we end today's show, I just want to thank you all again for tuning in. I hope 
you were touched by today's message and scripture. If you'd like to reach out to me, please call me directly at 407-493-3208. You can also email me at ben at shaken-awake.com or just check out the show at shaken-awake.com. Next week, tune in next Sunday or whenever you're able is I will have a guest on that will absolutely, absolutely shake you awake. He travels the country telling his testimony and story of redemption, being saved after blowing half his face off with a gun, attempting to end his life and sharing a most powerful testimony of the power of Lord, uh, of, the, of our Lord. And, and this is a story of amazing grace, like you have never heard. Join me next time as we speak to an incredible man of God here on Shaken Awake. Next week's, uh, week's episode is another uh, powerful and do not miss episode. Thank you all for joining. And until next week, take great care of yourself and each other. And God bless you all. 